0: Approximately one in every 59 children are born with autism. Albert Einstein. Dr. Einstein had no speech until age three. Steve Jobs. He was a loner. He brought snakes to school. Leonardo da Vinci. This man was far advanced on the autism spectrum. I'm not naughty. I'm autistic. And I just get too much information. Have you heard about sensory processing? How much do you know about it? any particular strategy or strategies you are frequently doing. This is Lloyd I.M. and you're listening to Takewatanga. Love Not Cure, Exploring Autism One Strength at a Time. Good day to all. I hope you are all doing well and good. During our last episode, we talked about how we got into this series of training sessions about autism. This is from exploring autism to sensory processing training. I'm really not 100% with my last episode after hearing it. I felt like I was trying to rush through the talk and make series of pauses which are not supposed to be. This is resulting in sentences spoken are confusing and uh, doesn't make sense for me that is for me anyway maybe this time I will talk a little bit slower than the last time so it's a bit clearer on how my communications would be I remember all the important things I did mention behind communication so I think we'll do a little bit of improvement here or improvements we're learning and uh, we're going to implement those learning skills that, or learning strategies that we are coming across with. For today, we're going to discuss key takeaways during the first day of sensory training, what happened that day, and what to expect on those trainings. I will also share some stories from parents during discussions on those sessions, but I will not name anyone. This is in respect to the parents who share their insights and I will give some examples and those examples could perhaps come from the discussions during the training sessions or based on my personal experience. I will just make them as generic as possible. Okay, so let's go on to the topic. The beginning of the first day was more of an introduction about sensory processing and what to expect during the four-day training class. At the start of the session, each parent was given a chance to introduce themselves and share a little bit about their child and their experiences. There were only about five parents at that time and it includes me and my wife. I was actually feeling a bit awkward that time when I was talking and it was my time to speak up. In a way, I'm not confident in speaking in a group or something like that. And I introduced myself and gave a little background about my son. And then I quickly handed over the floor to my wife. And then she continued with the discussion. It's a little bit uncomfortable for me speaking in public or in in group sessions. I'm just basically pushing myself to look and sound confident especially in topics I'm not familiar with, and hence uh, this podcast. So back to where we are and after the introduction of uh, parents, the discussion will then head to towards the history of sensory integration and our brain's capacity to process sensory input. Sensory integration is how our brain makes sense of the information that we get from outside sources and the brain or our brain will tell us if that information makes sense for us what happens during sensor integration is that whenever we receive information from different sources from outside our body our brain will then organize this information and will try to understand based on how we perceive things should make sense it was also mentioned that if a particular person is having a challenge to process the information, then they have this sensory processing disorder. Note that I'm using the term disorder here so we can better understand what the challenge is all about and keeping in mind that some information is named based on clinical terminologies, i.e. deficit disorder and so on we will be using those terminologies at some point or some instances due to lack of a better term, but we'll also be limiting them as much as possible. Additional learning for me is that we all have different sensory profiles and that there is no right or wrong approach as to how our brain should process information. We just need to be aware about it so we can develop the skill or skills that will enable us to handle this information in our brain. We also have sensory systems, and if you will remember about the eight senses that I have discussed in the last episode, that's all about sensory system. For those who just started listening, yes, you are correct. You just heard eight senses and not. The following are the eight senses, and the way they were discussed is that they divided this into two groups, and the first group talks about the first five senses. These are the senses that we all know about which is or which are. Sight, taste, hear, touch, and smell. These senses are also called our external senses, while the second group is the three additional senses that they have introduced or introduced to me so far. Some may already have encountered these senses. For me, this is my first time hearing those uh, senses. They are usually called our internal senses. Here are the first group. The first group of external senses, I have to say, they were also given interesting names uh, during that time. Here we go. The first sense is our sense of sight. They named it as Miss Visual. This sense is is responsible for our visual sight, as the name implies. And this is how we see things, how we see beautiful colors, how we recognize faces or places, and so on. Our eyes are responsible for sending the visual signal to our brains. The second sense is our sense of touch. This was named mistactile. This was about how we can differentiate the smoothness versus roughness of the surface. This is how we can feel the weather if it's hot or cold. Our skin owns this sense of touch territory. The skin is responsible for sending this information to our brain. The third sense is our sense of hearing. The sense of hearing was called auditory. The sense is responsible for capturing sound, like we hear the sound of the guitar, the voice of someone speaking to us, the sound of the horn, and so on. Ears own this hearing territory, and they are the one responsible for sending audio information into our brains. The fourth sense is the sense of taste. This is called miss. so this is our sense of taste our sense of taste is the one responsible for telling if the food we eat tastes good or not the fifth smell is our sense of smell this is also called miss olfactory this sense is responsible for capturing the odor of our surroundings and this is how we smell the perfume or maybe the cleaning detergent or the aroma of the coffee. So this is for those who are drinking coffee. Our nose is responsible for capturing smell information and sends this information to the brain. I'm trying to think of a good example so I can relate this sensory integration with both external and internal senses. So we'll just talk about it more shortly when I come up with a good example. So we go on to the next group, which is the internal senses and how they make sense kind of weird really like internal sense how they make sense so anyway the topic internal sense or senses for me are all new and i was never taught or i don't remember being taught about this during my class in science and if the teacher ever did teach this during my class i may have been absent that day or i was not listening perhaps anyway in short i just learned about this recently during the sensory training and I will be telling that to you right now. Here are the three internal senses. We have the first internal sense which is called vestibular. I hope I did pronounce it right. It is spelled as V as in victory, E for Echo, S for Sarah, T for Total, I for Indigo, B for Bus, U for Uniform, I for Live, A for Alpha and R for Romeo. So that is vestibular. This sense is responsible for our sense of balance. This is something to do or this has something to do with our body movements with respect to gravity. The second sense is called Interception. Interception is spelled as I as in India. N is for Nano. T is for Tango. E for Echo. R for Romeo. O for Oscar. C. For Charlie, E for Echo, P for Peter, T for Tango, I for India, O for Oscar and N for Nano. So, interception is responsible for sensing how we feel inside our body, this is how we sense our body temperature, how we feel being ha- hungry, hangry, alright this is how we feel being hungry This is where we also feel our sensory overload and so on. The third and final internal sense is our proprioception. The spelling is P as in Peter, R is for Romeo, O is for Oscar, P is for Peter, R is for Romeo, I is for India, O is for Oscar, C is for Charlie, E for Echo, P for Peter, T for Tango, I for India, O for Oscar, and N for Nano. This sense is our body positioning and how we make adjustments by moving and balance or movement and balance. It is basically uh, telling us where our body parts are in space so that we can make movements and adjustments in our positioning around the space. Alright, so let's... Let me try and give you an example of how all of these senses work together. This is just my own example based on what I've learned. This was never discussed during our session. A little disclaimer again, I'm not a, an expert. I'm just trying to make sense and make an example here that will allow me and you as a the listener to understand how these five or eight senses can work together. So here's a simple, a very simple example that I can think of. So let's say someone from your neighbor is having a nice barbecue outside the house and you saw that from your window. This information is then sent to your brain and then you confirm that, yeah, someone is grilling and you can see that smoke coming out of the grill. At that time, it do make sense. And after a few seconds, you started to smell it. You started to smell the smoke coming into your house I hope it's not too much, way, way too much smoke coming into your house. And then your brain started to recognize that smell, and it was really indeed a barbecue smell. So you just have confirmed that based on what you saw and then what you're smelling at that point in time. So what do you think will happen if, let's say, you saw someone having a barbecue, but when you smell the smoke, it smells like pasta? So it doesn't make sense, right? So that's where uh, the sense uh, sensory integration comes into the picture. So meaning when your brain processes it, it should somehow make sure that those two senses should work together. So when we talk about sensory input, our sensory integration will process two inputs in that event. So the first one will be the, the bar- barbecue as an event. And the second one is the the smell of the barbecue. So if both instances are processed by our brain through sensory integration, our brain sees the barbecue as an event, but smelled the barbecue as the smoke coming out from the barbecue as a pasta, then the, the information doesn't make sense, right? So that is how important our sensory integration is. This is how we can relate if, what we see versus what we, we smell should make sense. So it's like deciding if you're going to wear a jacket or not during a summer. So there are two or more senses involved in that time or in that scenario where we could potentially add interoception as well. So this is like you are seeing the sunshine. It's so hot in the middle of the day and you can sense that heat on your skin. And then internally as well, you are feeling exhausted because of that heat. And given those sensory inputs, your brain will then process those, those information and it will tell you or it will make you decide not to wear that jacket because it doesn't make sense to wear a jacket during the summer. So pretty simple, right? Okay, so just imagine that we have a lot of sensory input in our body and our body will need to provide those information that we take to our brain and our brain will process those information and will send us the feedback so that we can understand how to approach those information. Talking about the people on the autism spectrum, some have hypersensitive senses and usually the challenge for them is how to regulate those sensory information. Having too much information will mean there will be so much for their brain to process and this this scenario is, com- is a common result of Uh, information overwhelm I've also learned about these three alert levels there were strategies taught as well on how to regulate the three alert levels so your child will stay in a specific zone having a regulated alert level will help improve the ability of a person to pay attention and engage with an activity or any activity or activities you will be introducing to that person So these are the following alert levels. We have high, just right, and low. An example of high alert level is about feeling agitated. Let's say you have a fast heartbeat, your eyes are wide open and getting fidgety. Those are examples of feeling agitated. Usually high alert levels are caused by sensory overload. On the other hand, the low alert level is like feeling sleepy or drowsy or tired, feeling sick or nauseous. It's like you do not have any energy to do anything. That's why you're on that low alert level. So the last level is the just right level. This is the optimal level. This is the level that we always wanted to target. This is the sweet spot, I must say. So the strategy here is to identify the triggers for our kids. Identify what makes their sensory move to a low or a high alert level and from here This will help us identify what sensory activity or activities we should use to regulate their senses Let's say if during the day we see the alert level is low What alert, alerting activity or activities we should focus on so we can balance the level and move to just right level Example could be going on a trampoline or going for a bike ride and so on. On the other hand, if the person is super alert, what calming activities we should be doing to ease up the level from alert to just right. This could be doing calm or calming massage, reading, meditation. Each case may be different. Some might find the triggers to be the opposite of the expected outcome. What do I mean by this is, let's say uh, chewing a carrot. For some kids, this may trigger to alertness. This is because of the weird chewing sound that it produces, and then for others, they may find it annoying and could lead to high alertness and could it eventually lead to overwhelm as well. Same example, chewing a carrot. Some kids might find this as calming, not because of the sound it produces or produces but rather because of the child's proprioceptors leading to calming the child's behavior from being alert to just right. At the end of the day, you know your kids very well and you know what activity or activities is overwhelming for them and what's not. It's about finding that balance in those activities and if they are about to move to high alert, what activity are you going to do with him or her so you can quickly move to just right alert level. The key takeaway is understanding your child's behavior on which time of the day they are alert or low. If they are on alert state and they are supposed to be starting to settle down, we need to introduce calming activities. On the other hand, if it's morning and the child is in low alert level and because they need to start the day, we need to introduce activities that will improve them to the just right alert level. So that's the summary of the first day session. The next episode, we'll talk about the second day. It's about sensory processing still, so stay tuned. Every tangata fight tanga or person with autism, is different. If you fail with one strategy, don't stop. Keep moving forward. Always remember that for every failure you encounter, it's one step closer to your success. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, Memuto fakawa hire. Let's stop judging others. Memahi, tahi, tato. Let's all work together. Kia Maya, Kia Kaha, be brave and be strong. Please don't forget to like and share so others can also find us. Thank you.